Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. This week, we also heard about a recent trial for a cancer drug that yielded some amazing results for those that participated. Complete remission for every patient. It was a very small trial with only 18 participants with rectal cancer, so caution is encouraged as much work needs to be done to replicate these results, but there has been no other study in which a treatment completely removed cancer in every patient. For more on what to know about this study, we'll speak to Gina Collada, medical reporter at the New York Times. Now, these were too graphic for the paper to publish. In fact, my editor wouldn't even look at them. But when you see the photographs in the New England Journal of Medicine, which published this paper, oh my gosh, I had no idea what a locally advanced rectal tumor looked like. Right. They had the before and it was like, it was shocking. And then they had the after and there's nothing there. It was like, Wait a minute. It's like nothing. It looked perfectly fine. Pink and normal. I don't know what normal is, but there was no big tumor there. The tumors are really amazing looking. So um, what was really kind of incredible about this whole thing was what people told me is they could not think of another time when a cancer treatment was totally successful in every successive patient. Now, it's only 18, but what I kept hearing is with cancer, things are sort of Never black and white, never all or none. They're gray. Like some people do okay and some right. do great, some don't respond at all. Every one of these patients responded 100%. So that alone was just kind of like, how on earth could that have happened? And yeah. obviously it did. So what does it mean? Well, they have to do, they have to replicate it. They have to do more patients in that cancer center, Memorial Sloan Kettering, and they have to do more patients in other cancer centers to make sure it would work. And also community hospitals, because a lot of people don't go to major centers. But, you know, the New England Journal doesn't normally publish and make a big deal about, have an editorial with it too, make a big deal about 18 patients, but they did. And the other interesting thing was it was even hard to do this study because the normal treatment is chemotherapy, radiation, and life-altering surgery. They cut out so much you end up with a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. And these patients managed to avoid it all. But the surgery that you use for locally and and radiation and chemotherapy for locally advanced rectal cancer 
is curative. So when researchers went to various companies that have drugs like the one that was used, there are a bunch of Me Too drugs, and they said, we want to do this study, would you sponsor it? They all said no, because they thought, we want to give patients our drug and have them get worse and not be able to be cured? No. Yeah. So they found a small a small company called Tesoro that agreed to do it, and then they were acquired by GlaxoSmithKline to continue with the study. But it was kind of, you know, it took a lot of courage for the researchers and the patients to go ahead with that. Definitely. I mean, on the patient side, right, you mentioned all the uh, grueling treatments they would have to go through, chemotherapy and radiation. And for the study, you'd have to catch them early enough where they hadn't gone through that process yet. Uh, And as you mentioned, you know, some of that stuff is curative. So you got to give it that chance. You got to try it out. And so they had to get them, uh, as you mentioned, with locally advanced rectal cancer. That means it hadn't advanced to other organs just yet. So that was the important part of it. And, uh, And again, uh, you know, you know, some of the costs for these things are very high. I think um, the way they did this was they were given the medication every three weeks for six months, eleven thousand mm-hmm. yeah. dollars per doses. But how does the 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 drug itself work? Like, what does it do to the cancer cells that allows allows it to go away so quickly? These are cancer cells that have a lot of mutations on them, and this is a drug. Then cancer cells usually sort of um, they have like a shield practically on they they just repel the immune system. And these drugs are called checkpoint inhibitors. I think they call it it's like a checkpoint, stopping the immune system from seeing and attacking a cancer. And if you give somebody a checkpoint inhibitor, it sort of peels away that shield and the immune system can get at the cancer. And the advantage is if there's lots of different mutations, there's lots of ways for the white blood cells of the immune system to start attacking the cancer. So these drugs have been successful in, in other kinds of cancers as well. They work in some colorectal cancers. It's not clear, you know, these, they never tried them like that early on, but in some people with more advanced colorectal cancers, meaning colon mainly, they would get some success. They work in some lung cancers. There's a bunch of cancers where these drugs really do seem to make a big difference for some patients. The difference though is that they never gave it to somebody before they'd had anything else. So these researchers said, you know, now that we've done this, maybe we should try really early with other cancers too. Maybe the immune system can't do that much once the cancer started spreading and going to other organs. Yeah, I mean, just an interesting thing. Obviously, we urge a lot of caution with this stuff, right? It was a very oh, yeah. small trial. Right, of course. But the promise is always the interesting part and the thing that they're going to build off of and, and work to, you know, probably I'm sure they'll come together with another type of clinical trial on this. As you mentioned, the the main step now is to replicate this and make sure we can get it done again. And for these 18 patients that went through this, you know, you mentioned in the article, a lot of them were preparing for all those other treatments, for all the worst parts of it. And to their surprise and the surprise of their families and their doctors, man, did it work out for them. So just a great story. I hope there's more on this and we really uh, kind of advance the treatment on uh, on what can possibly be done here. Gina Collada, medical reporter at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This week, we also heard of a new study showing that a drug approved to treat type 2 diabetes is also extremely effective at reducing obesity. The drug, called terzepatide, works on hormones that help control blood sugar and send signals to the brain that the stomach is full. People in the study lost as much as 21% of their body weight, 50 to 60 pounds in some cases. For more on this, we'll speak to Karen Weintraub, 
health and medicine reporter at USA Today. This is a kind of weight loss that we've only seen before with surgery, people losing 50 pounds of excess weight. Uh, they're also exercising and, and watching their weight, but really it's kind of amazing to see that, that dramatic a, a drop in weight. And so how does this drug specifically work, trizepatide? Yeah, so this a new class of drugs, and this is part of that class, works on naturally occurring hormones that are in your body that basically send signals from your gut to your brain telling you you're full. And they also work against diabetes. But apparently this is enough to, I talked to one woman who said, you know, she used to stare at her pantry all day long, and now she, she's not obsessed with food in the same way. Yeah, and like you mentioned, right, you'd only usually get these kind of results through surgery. And that's what happens, right? When they tighten up the stomach, you get full faster, you eat less, and, you know, the weight loss happens after that. And, I mean, this is being done just with the drugs here. So how does this compare to other types of treatments, other obesity treatments? Right. So there was one that was approved last year. The generic name is semeglitude. I believe I pronounced that right. <laughs> and that one is nearly as effective, about 15% of body weight loss. And these are dramatically better than previous drugs, which only could help people lose about 5% of their weight. So three to four times better than previous drugs. What's not entirely clear with the newest drug, although seems to be true with semeglitide, is the medical effects. So we think that losing dramatic amount of weight should help resolve medical issues like diabetes, fatty liver disease, sleep apnea, things like that. But that's yet to be proven with this new drug, trisepatide. Yeah, this new drug has only been approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. It hasn't been exactly. for weight loss or anything. But when you get some really good results like this, it seems like that's something that would be on the horizon for it. Right. And it's not clear at the moment how soon it will be approved or whether whether it will be approved. They were supposed to complete four studies. They've only completed one out of the four so far, but the results were so strong that they're going to try to convince the FDA to consider this drug sooner, hopefully later this potentially later this year. Any type of side effects that we see with a drug like this? Yeah. So about 5% of the people in the trial dropped out because of GI side effects nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, things like that. The doctors I've spoken to said for the most part, they can help their patients through that. One patient I talked to said if she took um, an anti-nausea medicine the day after her trisepatide, that she was, uh, she was fine. I should add, by the way, that these are administered by injection. So you have to give yourself a shot once a week. So it was the day after that shot every week that she needed this anti-nausea medicine. And then always the important question, what about cost? How much do these treatments uh, cost a person? Yeah, so, so I think that's going to really affect how many people can go on these drugs right now. It's very hard to get coverage specific for obesity, a little bit easier for diabetes. But the semeglitude, which is on the market called Wagovi for, for weight loss, uh, runs about $1,600 a month in some places. I found it for 6000 a month in one. So uh, it's not the kind of drug that you're going to be able to pay for. Most people are going to be able to pay for out of pocket. There's no price yet on terzepatide, but it's about 1000 a month, I think, for diabetes. Unclear if they'll charge a different rate for weight loss. Tell me a little bit about Mary Brule of Norman, Oklahoma. She yes. was a, a woman that participated in the diabetes trial for terzepatide, so right. not, not in the, this one just specifically looking at the weight loss, but she said it changed her life. She did lose a ton of weight through this, and, and she's, uh, like I said, just complete 180 in her life now, and it's thanks to in part to this drug. And she's the one I mentioned who had the nausea issue and took an anti-nausea medicine and felt better. So for her, she ended up losing about 60 pounds in the nine months she was on the drug. She also uh, exercised. She loved hiking and was careful with her diet in that time period. But 
She had tried that before and really had been unsuccessful. And losing that amount of weight resolved fatty liver disease that she was developing and, and other health issues. She said particularly the energy. She didn't have the energy to do her hikes. She missed nature. And so once she lost the weight, she was able to exercise again and not fall asleep at 7 p.m. She could she could have a social life again. She's found a significant other, and it really has transformed her life, she said. It's just kind of interesting to see how something for type 2 diabetes has these other positive side effects, really. And like I said, they're going to do these trials. They're going to see if it works. And if it does, that could be the new weight loss drug that's out there or a form of it, right? That's the way these things always work. So we'll keep an eye out for all right. of that. And, and honestly, it's been like 40 years that researchers have been trying to understand weight gain, why the body holds on to weight. Something like 95% of people who try to lose weight can't or can't keep it off if they do lose weight. And so these drugs really are game changers potentially in, in that process. Uh, the other thing I should say, though, is that you have to keep taking them in order for them to keep working. So it's not like you can lose the weight and then go off the drugs. They are maintenance drugs like cholesterol or blood pressure medications. Karen Weintraub, health and medicine reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally for this week, for the past eight months, we've been seeing hundreds of mysterious hepatitis cases in children around the world. At least 38 children have required liver transplants, and nine have died. While these numbers remain very low, it has changed the lives of those affected. And one such case happened in Ohio, where four-year-old Livia came down with hepatitis for still unknown reasons and deteriorated so quickly that she needed a transplant. Her parents are now on a mission to inform others about warning signs and encourage people to be donors. For more about Livia's new liver, we'll speak to Emily Anthes, reporter at The New York Times. Livia's a four-year-old girl, uh, and she and her family live in Ohio. And, you know, a couple of weeks before last Christmas, she got sick for like a day. You know, it's sort of a mild childhood bug. She was throwing up a little, was tired for a day or two, but then really bounced back quickly and seemed to go back to normal. And it wasn't for another week and a half or so 
that her mom all of a sudden noticed that her eyes had turned yellow. And yellow eyes are sort of a telltale sign of jaundice, a telltale sign of liver problems. So her parents rushed her to the hospital where she was diagnosed with hepatitis. And, you know, over the next 11 days, it was, you know, the parents described to me a roller coaster. She deteriorated pretty quickly, uh, was in acute liver failure, started having all sorts of complications and side effects, and was ultimately listed at, at the top of the organ donation list for a liver and ended up having a transplant on January 1st of, of this year. From the reading in the story, Livia did have jaundice as a baby. I think her siblings did also. But when, yep. this, when this comes up again, I mean, what are some of the, the potential causes for this? Because I know there's a wide variety of causes and, you know, her parents were stumped. They're like, how, how could this possibly happen? You know, some of the things are um, using drugs, exposure to other toxins, and they didn't really think any of that you know, was happening to her, obviously. Yeah, well, so the thing to remember about hepatitis is that it's not a single disease. It describes a condition, which is just liver inflammation. And so there are a wide range of things that can cause it. Um, Toxins, certain medications, autoimmune problems, maybe the best known are the hepatitis viruses, you know, hep A, B, C, D, and E. Um, But other viruses can also cause hepatitis. Um, They typically don't in people who are otherwise healthy. So that's something you might see in you know, someone who's immunocompromised, but you're right, there's there's a huge range of, of potential causes for hepatitis. And then going back to uh, stepping away from Livia's case for just a moment, going back to this kind of overall mysterious set of hepatitis cases that we've been seeing, I mean, they still, it's been months since we've gotten first reports of this, they still don't really know how to explain that. Uh, I guess the leading cause our hypothesis for this, they say, could be an adenovirus that could have been causing some of this, but they still don't really know. They haven't nailed that part of it down. Yeah, that's right. They're exploring a bunch of potential theories. You know, a lot of these kids, including Livia, have tested positive for an adenovirus, which is, you know, a class of pretty common childhood viruses, not typically associated with hepatitis, but not all of them have. And they're also exploring other possibilities, like maybe this has something to do with the coronavirus, or maybe this has something to do with the fact that kids weren't exposed to other viruses during the last two years with with shutdown. So there are a lot of questions still and, and not many answers. And this is an important point, especially for Livia's parents, right? They went through this whole ordeal. They were able to get a liver transplant, thankfully, and Livia is getting better. But when the doctors, when they kept going, searching for these answers, you know, even on the posture of of the doctors, they were like, well, thank God we were able to fix her. We're on the other side of that. You know, even finding the cause didn't seem as much of a priority anymore. So for Livia's parents... They really wanted to spread the word, let other parents know to look out for specific warning signs if you see something in your child. And if you uh, you can help us walk through some of that because there was some irritability. She was quick to anger and things change in the body when all these toxins are, are starting to build up. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's important to say and, and Livia's parents also wanted to say that these cases are extremely rare. Yeah. You know, they're severe and they're worrying, but. 650 globally over eight months, you know, that's very rare. And those that progress to transplant are, are even rarer. But there are some telltale signs, as, as you said. So, you know, I, I think parents don't need to worry about every cold, every flu. But 
liver signs really show up in the eyes and the skin. So yellowing of the eyes, yellowing of the skin. Also dark urine is another telltale sign. And then the other thing that Livia's parents said was just knowing your kid. You know, if if they have what seems like a run-of-the-mill virus or bug, but then, you know, a week or two later, they still seem a bit tired, they don't seem themselves, then maybe that's time to talk to the doctor. You know, in this sense of things, it is a feel-good story because Livia was able to get a new liver and start her health journey again and become healthy. But, you know, she has to live with being a transplant recipient for the rest of her life, right? This is taking immunosuppressant drugs for the rest of your life. For her parents, they have this new purpose of encouraging friends and family to register to be organ donors. Uh, so there's a lot more people than you might think that go through this stuff. Uh, so it's, a, it's an important new purpose that her parents have as well. Separate from this, cluster of hepatitis cases, you know, one of the things they want to spread the word about is, you know, being a blood donor, being an organ donor, you know, whether or not or whenever scientists figure out what's happening with these cases, there will always be people who need organs and need blood. So they feel like that's that's a message that they want to share sort of regardless of what happens with these cases. Livia's father in some of the interviews said a lot of this is very tough on the parents. Obviously, it's tough on the kids, too, but they're so damn resilient. And obviously that's the case of Livia. How is she doing now? How has her progress been? She's doing really well. You know, her parents talked to me about sort of adjusting to a new normal, like things aren't quite the same as they used to be. They said she still gets, you know, a little more tired than she used to. They're still in the process of tapering down her medications. You know, when she first got into the hospital or first got out of the hospital, she was on more than a dozen, and now she's, you know, maybe cut that in half. So, you know, she's not quite back to where she was, but she is playing. She's going to the pool to swim. She's going to dance class and playing soccer. And so in most ways, she's really just back to being a typical four-year-old girl. Emily Anthes, reporter at The New York Times, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.